All episodes of Let the Music Play podcast can be found in both iTunes and at AshtonGustafson.com. If you have enjoyed these conversations and they have brought joy, peace, and resilience to your life, we ask that you would go to iTunes and leave a review. Our hope is to share these voices and conversations with as many people as we can. And by leaving a review, you will be helping this light make its way into the world. That was where the beginning of the shifts began for us of, okay, we can kind of just keep living like death is coming, or we can start living like life is coming and death might come, but we can't control if, if it comes or when it comes or how it comes, but we can control how we start living. Hey guys, Ashton Gustafson here and welcome back to another episode of Let the Music Play. Hope you are doing well. Um, Man, all I can say to start this conversation today is Aaron McHugh Um, (laughs) 3.0. This is the third time. This is our hat trick. Um, He's he's like one of our local sages. You know, we get him on the horn about every six to 12 months. And uh, I can tell you this guy, he and I have become friends from afar. We recently got to meet and um, he is who he says he is. He is full of light full of love, lives an amazing story. Um, and we've never really gotten into the story of, uh, you know, who he is and the journeys he's walked. And I thought, man, we, we need to hear this. It's time. And then there's something uh, that he's hosting later this year, and I want to invite you guys to that as well. So with that being said, McHugh, welcome. What's up, brother? Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. I'm really glad that we finally had a chance to meet, too. That was really fun there in St. Louis. And finally, just hang and just hang out at a table and share a beverage and share some life and story. It was really good. And we did. That was a, uh, a beautiful evening, great conversation. Yeah. And, um, we got, it was like crazy. You and I got to like share a stage. I went up and then you went up. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And how killer was that meal too? So, so Ashton and I got invited to have this private meal with, uh, two others and we, it was back in the kitchen, right in the Four Seasons Hotel, and so it was the sous chef comes out and he prepares this. I mean, what was it? Seven course with wine pairings was, or something? Eight it, eight courses? Yeah, at least seven or eight. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I would say of all of the nice meals I've had, that has got to be one of the premier top. I can't think of others that compare very well. Yeah. So I'm just going to say it's one of the very top, but I really don't have a. A, a, a peer to it. So it may just plain and simply be the best meal and experience I've ever had that way. It was awesome. Full of color. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, you need to clear, you need to clear, clear your palate. And so here's homemade sherbet with some champagne yeah. on top. Something uh, like that. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah. It's something like that. Sorry. It was kind of amazing. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, my gosh, dude. So you, you, what I love about you, um, is a, you give like you just, when you learn something, when you walk a journey, you share it, and uh, and I've just I've loved that. I look up to that. Um, you get phrases that you share with us that I absolutely love. We've walked down the emotional calories road before. We've yeah. we've done all these journeys, um, but I feel like there's this really really significant um, 
you know, moment in your life, season in your life that has, uh, that really just led you to awareness, that led you to massive amounts of change. Um, and I didn't know you beforehand, but like all I know of you is this very light and bright spirit. Um, mm. and I just thought, man, can you, can you walk down that road with me of the journey to where you are today and, and kind of what, what that was like in the past? Yeah. So we, the part we haven't ever talked about here together, we'll, we'll, we'll just get real today. So we, we have had a lot of difficulty and a lot of challenges in our personal life. So my daughter, we have three kids. Our oldest is 20 uh, and 21. He lives in California and our youngest is, she's still at home with us and she just started her junior year of high school. And my wife and I have been married for going on 24 years this December. And um, six and a half years ago, our middle daughter, Hadley, passed away. And before that, she, when she was born, when she, so she was 12 when she passed away, she would be 18 today. Um, she was born severely disabled. And so when I was 26, I guess, 26, 27, when she was born, my wife and I, you know, married three or four years or whatever and our second kid. And when she was born, we didn't know. All we knew was something was different, something, but we knew something was wrong, but we didn't, couldn't really name what was wrong. And what subsequently happened is we ended up going to doctors and she wasn't growing and, you know, things, things were just different and we couldn't name why and finally got an MRI and found out that she was born without all of her brain and never formed. And so here she was at four months old and not growing and not getting bigger and her head wasn't growing. And it turned out she had a basically um, a underdeveloped brain, which then we sat down with a doctor and he said, let me just tell you how this is going to go. She probably will never leave home. You cannot go a day without health insurance and you will, this will be the most difficult journey you will you can possibly imagine going forward. And at the time they didn't really have like a diagnosis, um, prognosis. All they could just tell us was she doesn't have, doesn't have all that she needs in order to be, um, capable to live a normal life. And so what that ended up looking like then was she was wheelchair bound her whole life and was, had cerebral palsy and, um, seizure disorders and, was tube fed and you know, it was, it was brutal. Um, she didn't walk or talk or crawl and she was a beautiful, beautiful person. And she wasn't like a vegetable or anything like that. She had personality and life to her and light to her and was, could be joyful, but she also was in like tons of pain and just every day was, you know, just a good day would have, you know, two seizures, a bad day would have 10 and we'd have to knock her out with uh, Valium um, to make her stop crying and, and go to sleep and kill a seizure. And, you know, and the rest of us, just five of us in the house and one of us really, 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 it took a lot to keep her life going. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot for us to find life in the middle of it really just a lot of just kind of slow death is really what it was. And in the end, what took her life was pneumonia it wasn't her chronic 
Ill, you know, ailments so much, but her body was compromised because she wasn't active and mobile and didn't move around. And so we had suffered through probably, I think we did 26 times in the hospital, um, that were, that were longer than three to five days mm. and everything from overdoses from the pharmacy, giving us the wrong mixture of a, of a uh, medicine to, broken femurs because we'd pick her up out of her chair and her foot would hang on a Velcro strap and snap her bone. It was just, it was, it was really, really, really tough and tough for our kids and tough for us. And what started to shift towards the end of her life was she was about 10 and she, she almost died and we had the hospice nurses at the house and the whole thing. And I remember the guy, the hospice head hospice guy called the coroner um, and said, hey, this is going to be a medically expected death. And if you hear from this family over the weekend, um, expect it to happen. But don't don't send fire trucks and sirens. And, um, you know, just know it, it. we're expecting this to happen. And I guess it was basically kind of forewarning them so they wouldn't come in and treat it like a police investigation. Wow. And she she like perked up and like popped her eye open and decided she wasn't done. Mm. And she went back to school and we had kids from school come and like make her a quilt and say goodbye to her bedside. And it was just, it was crazy. And then all of a sudden she was back and she was like back at school a few months later and we're sitting around the table with the school attorney and the nursing staff. And, you know, they were like, are you sure she can be here? Like, well, no, we're not really sure, but we know, she loves being here and it's good for her and it's good for us and it's good for the school. So let's find a way for her to be here. And that was where the beginning of the shifts began for us of, okay, we can kind of just keep living like death is coming or we can start living like life is coming Hmm. and death might come, but we can't control if, if it comes or when it comes or how it comes, but we can control how we start living. And those were the, that was where it all began. So this, this is a, you know, what year was this? What year was she born? So let's see. So 1997 or 1998 was when she was born, I believe. Okay. So 98. Um, I mean, I imagine all hands on deck 24 hours a day all the time. Yeah. And and not just you and Leith, but like your other kids as well. Yeah. And we had medical care. So we had nurses and like basically paid help that we would come in and, you know, to get her out of bed in the morning to, we had machines, oxygen machines. And, um, basically like you would see like a IV pump. Um, and she had, you know, ports in her chest and, I mean, it was just, you know, she was 24 hour full-time care and, you know, she couldn't wipe her own tears, you know, she was crying or she couldn't itch your face because of um, her mechanics of her brain wouldn't allow that fine motor skills to work, but you could tell when she was uncomfortable and we began to just pay a lot more attention to her in terms of like her spiritual being of like, okay, her body's broken. Yes. Developmentally, she's like equivalent of a two month old, but we can tell like when she's not happy and when she's happy and Mm -hmm. when her brother or sister comes in the room, she like brightens up and when my mom and dad come home, she seems at ease. And so we just started cluing into more of her cues 
about who she was as a person. And that's what really changed is we started just saying, okay, we, we, we don't know where this is going to go, but this is miserable living like this. And we just started asking different questions. And I remember one of them was the, in the morning for, I don't know, probably eight years, we would wake up every morning to her crying and discomfort or seizures or, you know, laying in bed in the same position for too long and whatever it was. And when I remember it was like, I would start my morning at the, in my doorway and I would kind of, I began to just make a choice of, do I go to her room first and tend to her and see what she needs? Or do I go get a cup of coffee first? And it was a real struggle because I felt really selfish that I would go get a cup of coffee first. And I finally started realizing that, no, I think what love looks like is if I go get a cup of coffee first and she's going to continue crying and I'll hear all that across the house, then I can actually go in and engage with her in a loving way and go in with a cup of coffee with me. And then I can engage with her and, and offer her love and attention versus go straight into her room. And then I'm just kind of ticked that my life is like this mm. and that her life is like this and that we're all, you know, so it just, it was just the beginning of it. Every day was the choice of how's this going to go. And that I have a lot more choice than I knew. And as we began to embrace the shifts in that of what would love look like when she's having seizures. So I'd go and hold her hand and whisper in her ear and just tell her I love her and that I'm praying for her and I'm so sorry and I wish I could make this go away, but I can't. And so I'm just going to sit with you while it happens and wait till it's over. And just those are the subtle shifts that began to, I mean, really change who we are as people. Hmm. When, when did you start finding the question, what, what would love look like here? Like when, yeah. where did that come along in the process? Yeah, I, I think it's real cloudy, to be honest, you know, and foggy. Mm -hmm. Like we call them our blackout years. So, it, wow. it, so chronologically, I don't recall, but I remember where, where it started happening was just feeling so helpless and so powerless and so just like on a treadmill, you know, just a this spiral of death is what it felt like all the time. And I think what started happening is after she almost passed and bounced back and we kind of look like, you know, like you hear about stories of people getting a second chance at life. And I think that's where it began was like, okay, you know, this isn't going so well for us. We're 10 years in on this and it's just worsening and our house is becoming more of a hospital every year. And, you know, we're more frazzled and strained and stressed and you know, it was just intense all the time because it was just this looming, is she breathing? Is she going to keep going? And so I just think we just started subtly in our journey with God, just saying, gosh, there's got to be a mother way. Like, there's got to be more. Yeah. And, you know, what does love look like? It just started just realizing that she she can't do anything about this and nor can we. But if we allowed love to enter to the story and it be, be the center stage question and the predominant question, mm -hmm. then it would, maybe this will shift and maybe her being in a wheelchair and us being frazzled and strayed and stressed out all the time, maybe we can shift this. And it kind of started building on itself. And we had this minivan that we had a wheelchair ramp on it. 
and a buddy of ours um, nicknamed it the nicknamed us the Sunshine Gang, and so we like started kind of treating it like a fun thing. Like let's get in the minivan and rock the stereo with the kids and roll down the windows and you know just let's make this fun because before it just felt like a circus hmm. and it was like man I can't believe and we didn't have a lot of friends who invited us to dinner at their houses and stuff because we were just kind of a scene to you know show up and I think some of it was out of compassion of they thought maybe if we had them you know got invited over it'd be too much for us to try and mobilize the troop and get everybody out the door but a lot of it was just we realized our life was just messy and we couldn't we couldn't hide it like a lot of people's mess in their life they can hide but ours was just so front and center that wow. it really helped people know that we were hurting and i think for me it took a long time for me to break and just accept that i was we went to this anglican church and we'd go forward on communion every week and this posture of communion was you would hold your hand with palms up and they would talk about this posture of being poor and needy in spirit and that we would walk down as a family and take communion together and push our daughter. And there was other people in wheelchairs there. And it was a small little hundred person church. And, and it was, it just began to change something in me and us and just say, yeah, I am poor and needy and I can't fix this. And, and I need help and I need people to love on us and I need people to invite us over for dinner. And, you know, I need people to just ask questions and say, Hey, what's this like? And, um, and I need friends around me that are okay, that I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. And that I don't have to pretend I'm okay, that this is, this is really hard and I don't know that I can make it some days. So it just kind of began to sober something in us, but then the joy is actually what came out of it is, we're like, dude, this, yeah, this is crazy making, but this could be really fun. So we would start doing things like with our daughter and we would, we made her brain one year and we got in the kitchen and we're like, what if we could make a brain for her? And we got in the kitchen with the mixer and <laughs> threw a bunch of stuff, you know, in a pot and food coloring. And, you know, I don't know, we made a costume for, her for Halloween. And we just were like, let's just have fun with this. Cause this is going to go a lot better if we take this a different with a different approach in a different direction. Wow. And, and simultaneously you, you have, you have this in the four walls of your home, but you also are burning the candle at both ends in your job, right? Yeah. So I have full blown career and in a software startup environment and people counting on me and relying on me. And it was intense and it was not, you know, it was very, this might not work and this might fail and we might all lose our jobs. And it was just high intensity all the time. And I am, can be high intensity. So I was then adding intensity from work at home hmm. and then from home to work. And I didn't realize that while I was happening, but basically everything was emotionally charged that I did and everything was very, you know, kind of battle, uh, vernacular, you know, mm-hmm. and oh. I just kind of made everything a big deal. And in some very unhelpful and unnecessary ways, but I couldn't recognize that in the midst of it. It was only, you know, probably again towards the tail end where I started to gain more clarity. And then when she actually passed away, we were kind of like geared up, like this is our new normal and we're going to go for this. And everybody's kind of having fun enjoying it now. And yeah, it's stressful and crazy making, but our house is beautiful and full of people all the time. And um, we are poor and needy, but we're getting lots of help and getting loved on. And, you know, it kind of, 
we, we just talked about, we didn't have the luxury of like worrying about if our car got a door ding in the parking lot because like our life was a mess. So it was like all that stuff, the peripheral stuff that people spend a lot of time and attention to and, you know, will our retirement go well? And, you know, am I going to get the promotion? <laughs> like, I, who knows? I don't know, but today we can do this. So it just helps to filter out a lot of things in life. And then subsequently now, years later, we just have become the kind of people that, for the most part, are able to carry a perspective about life and about people and about story and and just see things differently because the worst thing that we could have imagined happening to us um, happened. And we've all been able to not only survive, but now turn the corner and begin to thrive, which is a fundamentally a very different thing than just remaining a survival. Wow. Survi- survi- sur- surviving an issue like that is different than actually turning and finding a place to thrive from a place like that. Wow. Yeah. Man. So, wow. So you, uh, she passes away. Burnout happens at, in your job. I remember you shared the story about rigging in yeah. the, the opening bell at the London Stock Exchange. Yeah. Um, and just kind of saying, there's got to be more. Surely this is. Surely, surely there's got to be more than this. Yeah. And and so this is this is where I don't know the story. Um, okay. When you guys just called time out. Mm. And um, I mean, I think, didn't you go to like a Young Life camp for a while? Didn't you sell everything? Like again, I'm I'm piecing the story together, but yeah. when when you guys called time out, start from there. Yeah, I think Ashton, what we started realizing was, you know, clearly this her her life, her passing was really, 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 really difficult. And like just um it is absolutely positively one of the worst things that can happen to a human being to lose a child. Mm-hmm. And so even though we knew it was possible, we just still didn't have, we just didn't, we didn't know it was happening. We didn't, when it actually happened, it was just, you know, it happened. We were in the hospital for the 27th time and this time she didn't come home. And so what began was we just started healing first. And that took a while of, because all that trauma and all of the hardship of all those years that in a lot of ways we had lived in silence and my, my mode of operation for life my way to make life work was I've got this. I don't need anything. What do you need? And, you know, I, I can take it more than anybody else. So just tell me what you need. And there's a lot of that that's really good about me, but there was a lot of that that was really unhealthy in me. And so what started happening during my um, demise, our son ended up going to a drug rehab um, program, a couple of them, and he's today he's 29 months sober, but at the time it was, she had just passed away and then he ends up in drug treatment. My wife ends up in trauma treatment and on-site workshops. So you've interviewed miles here. We've all spent a lot of time at, at on-site and each have gone for our, our, each, our, uh, our individual work that we needed, our son, my wife and I. And so what came out of that was I knew life had stopped working for me in the way that I attempted to make life work and manage all this chaos and still keep a career going and still advancing and keep a family together and a marriage together. And my marriage started crumbling. And on one of my last business trips during that season, my wife told me it was easier when I was gone 
And yeah, she just said, I, you know, I, I love you. And when you're here, it's harder. So Mm -hmm. you, you make all this harder basically. And, and I just felt like I know, but what, what's my choice? What's my alternative? You know, why don't you walk a mile in my shoes and tell me how to do it different? But I couldn't figure out how to do it different. So when I went to onsite and spent that week in their living center program, it's the same program that Donald Miller writes about in his book close. So when I came out of that, I had like clarity on what was wrong with me. And the fundamental piece was my life plan was FUBAR. And I had to begin to take care of myself first and foremost. And that my life strategy had to change where that out of the overflow of me tending to myself and caring for myself, could I then have capacity and begin to care for other people? And whether that's at work or at home or friends or wherever it may be. And that's a lot of where that emotional calorie story came out of. And so what we started looking at was we can't control what's happened to us and we can't, we can't change the past, but we can do something about our future. And what came was just seeing that it reminded me a lot of guys coming back from Iraq Hmm. and the, the trauma they go through in the field usually isn't the problem. It's when they come home and they try and reintegrate back into real life. And all of a sudden they've lost the mission and the purpose and the cause. And they actually are better in battle than they are in real life. And they come back to real life. And I feel like I was one of those guys that although I hadn't been in combat, I had lived in combat in a, in a very similar way of just trying to survive my own life. And I just started wondering, like, is this really what the story is going to be is we're just going to, you know, be survivors. You know, we're going to get our little medal of valor for the battle that we fought and, you know, did a valiant effort and kept her alive for 12 years and kept our family alive. We're not divorced yet. That really is that that really how it's going to go. Or maybe there's another way. Maybe we could start dreaming about a life we'd want to be part of. Because like the story I told when you and I were together in St. Louis here in the stage is, you know, in the beginning of my story, in our life, my marriage and all that, it was all great. It all had, it was like headed great places. It just went south and sideways in ways that we didn't anticipate or expect. And what I actually heard a Rob Bell podcast was one of the turning points for me. And it's one of his early ones. So I know you've had him on as a guest also. So your listeners listen to him. It's it, the title is uh, Honoring the Immensities. Mm. And I want to say it's like the first 10 or 15 episodes he did on the Robcast. And so he told a story about this guy in Boulder that he met and went to lunch with him and was just really um, affected by the guys, this guy's life, how like light and easy and joyful and fun and playful this guy was. And his buddy, who had set the lunch up on the way out, he asked him, dude, what's the deal with that guy? How is he so like, like him? And he's like, oh, him? He, yeah, he lost it all. <laughs> and he went on to tell a story about how the guy lost everything, and lost his business, lost his family. And, and, um, and so I was on a massage table getting a massage, listening to this. And the massage therapist I worked with then, um, we both would listen to Robcast when I would come. And I just started crying and my kind of uncontrollable shoulders hurling crying. Wow. Because what Rob talked about was that the way that you move from survival to thriving is you have to go through it. Right. 
have to make room in your life to honor the immensities of the pain and the loss. And the only way to get to thriving is give the pain a place. Hmm. And uh, even now, uh, I thought that was going to kill me because I thought if I actually allowed pain to all of the pain to have a place in my life, it might make me drown. And that was what I had spent my life trying to avoid was I didn't, I was cognizant of it and I lived in it, but I never really let it have its full weight in place. And so what we did was part of our, what we call now our, our life reboot was we, I took a leave of absence from my, my work and job at the time and went to onsite and came back. And I basically, I would cry every day. And I remember going to the pool and the hot tub and I would sit in the hot tub and just let, it wasn't even like I was crying. It's just my eyes, the valve were open. And so they just tears leaked out for days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I just started, I changed the pace of my life and the commitments I had in my life and gave this pain. Yeah, I gave it a lot of room. Um, and it really hurt. Um, and I, I always thought that the only way to live forward was to f- like move beyond the pain somehow. And what I've learned is that it's actually become, it's more, it's like coexisting that joy and pain coexist together. And it's not the absence of my pain that I have experienced joy. It's that I actually gave room for the pain and my wife and we've all given room to it and honored the immensities of our life, but it's given us room to be able to experience joy and say, yeah, that's all true. It all happened and it was all terrible and it was all beautiful. And now today, as we now re-architect a life that we live today and we started this reboot, um, it was a lot of it of just learning to say, okay, that's all true and it all happened and now I have room for it in my life and it exists with me. Um, I'm not over it, um, but I've gone through it and now I can gain some perspective on it. And then we just started dreaming of, you know, what would a life look like that we want to be part of and want to live. And it was a really difficult process. My wife and I went through, went to marriage coaching and therapy and we started this blank sheet of paper and she's like, I know you, Aaron, have an idea of what you want your life to look like. And Leith, you have an idea of what you want your life to look like, but you guys don't really align on what that life is. Mm. And cause for me, it was, I got to get out of corporate work. I got to get out of here. It's killing me. Um, I can never go back. You know, I can never work that hard. I can never, I had all these, I will nevers <laughs> because of the pain that caused me. Yeah. And then for her and for me, it was like, I'll live in a tent. I'll live in a cardboard box. I'll live in an RV. Um, I'll, I'll use every dollar we've ever saved and, uh, we'll liquidate everything. And, and the marriage therapist, marriage coach, Robin, she was like, Oh, hold on. I hear you. Go easy there. Um, you, you, you still have a wife, you know, mm-hmm. here that needs some other things. And so we, we were able to, over a period of months, kind of start dreaming again. And so Leith actually pr- proposed, what if we jettisoned everything we own and we start over? And I was like, yeah yes are you serious really like everything she's like i mean it like let's get rid of all of it and then we went to our daughter and said the same thing hey what if we just got rid of everything like wall hangings wedding china silverware 
sheets, beds, and really what it was in our case, it was less about being minimalist. And it was really more about um, there was things in our life that had stored pain, the memory of pain for us. So for us, Donald Miller writes about in his book, um, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, he talks about your, your things in your life are story props like they would be in a play. And if you're trying to tell a play, then you want the props that you have front stage to be specific to the story that you're trying to write and narrate. That's good. And that was so helpful. And so we were like, hey, these are, these are not props we need anymore. We don't need a five-bedroom big house with a couple TVs and couches and you know, kids stuff. And it was bloated, you know, 3,400 square foot house. And we were organized and um, type A clean. But that didn't mean that every drawer wasn't stuffed full of stuff we didn't need. So we took about four months um, beginning, kind of in the beginning, and just started asking the question of like, what is actually the life we want to live? And do these props suit us for that forward life? Or do these things in our life store pain that we'd like to be rid of? Because in order to get to survival or past survival into thriving, we knew that we had to get rid of the associations of pain. Mm -hmm. And we were actually living inside our four walls, like you mentioned, surrounded by memories of pain everywhere. And so we just said, Adios. There's no way we're going to turn this corner. And we believe a lot in the work that we've done at Onsite about, you know, neuroplasticity, like your brain can actually change and what you believe and your habits. And there's all this stuff that can get better, but we knew we were not going to get better as people if we couldn't really change our environment and then change our insides. And we knew that somehow, some way, this stuff that we had acquired and accumulated through prosperity and success had actually taken a hold of us. And some, some, especially for me, somehow owned a part of me. So I became really, in the beginning, resentful of it and resentful of the lifestyle that we were living and because it cost me so much personally that I had allowed to happen. But that redizing, you know, getting rid of the stuff really became kind of a, a really liberating. Mm-hmm. It was really fun. Like, mm-hmm. So Keith had an idea of holding a Facebook sale and just post on Facebook and said, come to our house these two days. Come get what you want, what you need, pay what you can, um, take it, please. It's either going with you or it's going to Goodwill, and we're going to give it away. And so we opened a shoebox, and um, people in droves came through our house, lots of friends and family and you know connections, and people saw stuff on Facebook and saw good deals that could be had. And so we accumulated like, I don't know, $7,000, $6,000 worth of cash in a shoebox. Um, for all the stuff that we got rid of. And that became our seed money for a new life that we wanted to start. And then we ended up selling the house and at first moved into um, a camp and and went and volunteered for a camp. And then we kind of went back to that part of the story of when was our life good? And my wife had worked at this Young Life camp and we had volunteered there together. And we were like, well, let's go back there and let's see if we can just go mend and, and sit and heal in a place that is full of joy and the joy is not on us and it's in an environment and in a place where we know we can get our tanks refilled. And so we went and volunteered and helped and cleaned cabins and worked the kitchen and sat on the porch at night and watched the mountain goats come in and just allowed the whole life that we had um, to come back to an idle place and begin from there to dream of what would it look like that we'd like to be part of man. Yeah. Wow. So, so that leads us to today, 
and, and and I think Bell has said something along the lines of the the simplicity on the other side of what was difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and again, an outsider looking in, um, it seems like presence, joy, peace, purpose, passion, life. Um, like these are the seeds you guys are sowing. Um, yeah, you can you can you can just see it in your life. Um, yeah. And now you want to share that with people. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I think the most amazing thing that you guys have done is said, I am reporting back from the worst thing you can ever imagine. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm standing here and I want to share this with you. Um, yeah. and you, you guys are calling this reboot. You had this gathering. Was it this year or last year? Yeah, it's just back in May. Okay, so you you had this first gathering called Reboot, um, yep. and then you guys are going to tee it up again this fall and do something similar. Why don't you share with our listeners kind of what you guys are doing? Yeah, what we've learned is we've had a lot of people um, have conversations with us or want to get together or ask us questions because we were using this terminology Reboot and. Um, Leith, my wife, had been interviewed by Rob on the Robcast in its episode 99, and we ran into him. We went to his one of his events, and um, she went up to him and and said, "Hey, I, I want to be on your Robcast." <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, okay, tell me more." Um, she, she's like, "Well, I got something to say." Hmm. And he goes, "Oh, really? Interesting. And what what is that?" And so we just kind of gave him the download, you know, in a minute and a half, and just said. Hey, we we rebooted our life and started everything over, and all that had happened to us, um, we decided to, and a lot of because of the work that you do, um, to chart a new course, and we're on that new course, and we're in the beginnings of it, but we're growing some really good things, and you know we're healthy and well, and we've reimagined and rearchitected our career and where we live and how we live and who we're friends with, and and he's like, okay, I'm in, let let's do this. So what we happen is through these different conversations that people were gaining courage about their own life through our life story that it, it isn't about how do you survive you know the, the death of a child that that that's just our particularness of our story but what we learned is universal is that a lot of people find themselves in in their life in some beginning of their life when they're really thinking about okay hey it's just getting started and so we're 20 something and we're wondering about what do we want to do because you feel some pressure okay now i got a, a university degree my parents are counting on me to take this you know really important gig at this bank that i'm supposed to go take cuz that's the life i'm supposed to have um or you're you know 30 something or 50 something or 60 something and you're in a place where you've been you know at it for a while but there's some beginnings of, you know, just call it disappointment or things haven't gone exactly as you hoped, or you found yourself in the place you exactly intended and is totally on purpose, but it ain't that great. Mm -hmm. And so you're wondering like, so this, this, uh, era right now of van life, people are all stoked about, you know, living out of their car on perpetual road trips. Well, that's because people are saying what I'm doing isn't working. And so now we have these fantasies of, well, what if I have to just leave it all behind? And, and in our case, we left it behind so we could create a new white canvas to start writing on it and dreaming and experimenting with 
this a new life, a second half of our life. So what we've done through this reboot conference, and we call it Reboot Your Life Experiential Workshop. And the reason we call it that is because we go into these ideas, and one of the things we start with is, like, what's the narrative you tell yourself every day? When you wake up, when your feet hit the ground, what's the first thing you tell yourself about the day? And that's that me in that doorway. You know, me in the doorway, the cup of coffee, and either I'm going to go engage the chaos or I'm going to go take care of myself. And so I would tell myself a story every day. Hey, this is going to go really well today. Or this is just going to be a repeat of yesterday. I know exactly where this is going. And so we began to reprogram our narrative of despite the circumstances, you can actually program your life by starting with the narrative you tell yourself is true every day. Mm. This is going to go great. Things are going to, you know, be, and I don't mean this in a cheesy way, but like, you know, people love me and, you know, I'm going to be fine. And all my, you know, disqualifications actually become my qualifications right. for what is ahead for me today. And so we start a lot of the weekend and we just start asking questions like that. Like, okay, what's the narrative you tell yourself? You know, what, where do you feel stuck in your life? And let's look at why you're stuck. Like, are you stuck because you're just on this, this treadmill that you found yourself on? And now it's like, well, I have this house and I have this job and our kids have this school and well, our in-laws say we have to live this close. And you kind of start unraveling and picking at, okay, so hold on a second. So who tells you it has to be like that? Right. Oh, you, oh, you do? Oh, yeah, me too. I did too. I do too. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about, hold on a second, who are the they's in your life that you feel so pressured to live according to? And is that what you want? So we just start asking questions through the course of the weekend. Is that what's the life that you want? What's the work rhythm that you want? And we do things like relationship maps where we say, okay, listen, one of the things that we did in our reboot was we looked at who are the people in our life that are life-giving to us. We call them greens. And it's one of the things we live, learned going through these recovery um, meetings with our son. And we, we did this map where it was like, hey, who's the green life-giving people? Who are the yellow kind of, you know, caution when I'm around? And then who are the red, like toxic people, like suck life out of you? And so we looked at our life and realized like we spend way too much time with yellow and reds. Wow. Why do we do this to ourselves? Wow. This is crazy making. So whether it's friends or it's work coworkers or it's neighbors or it's family, it was really helpful for us to begin to name and plot where we are investing our energy. And Rob Bell talks about investing your yes. Where are you going to put your yes? And so where are you going to actually begin to be more strategic about your no's? And where are you going to begin to begin to say, this is not good for me. This is not actually produce the fruit for my life that I want. And so I'm going to begin to reshape that. And so we've done a lot of relationship renovation um, because of that. And recognizing that the life we want, well, we want to be around people that are life-giving. Let's mm -hmm. spend time with those folks. That's, that's the life we want. Why are we spending time around folks that are not life-giving? Um, and some of that we were contributing to. So it's not all on them. It was just that sometimes you even get it in a rut of relationships. So through the course of this weekend, the other thing we do a lot of that I'm, I'm, I love adventure. And where I come most alive is with adventure. And so we incorporate in, we call these adventure excursions through the course of this reboot weekend where we're in, we're in workshop setting and we're, yeah, we're sitting in a place. We run out of a brewery to do some of it in, but then we're also getting out and we do these secret surprise excursions that have these big ideas associated with them so that it isn't just 
teaching an idea sitting in a classroom or workshop. You're actually getting out and you're doing it. And then people are like, no way. I never thought about it like that. Like, I know us too. So we kind of reinfuse, you know, the idea of your life can be like this. Yeah. Like, look at the color and the texture your life can have yeah. and the joy and the fun and the play and the lightness and the ease. And it's all a choice. Yeah. And you have to live, you have to work with the life that you have. So you can't just wish it all away. You, but you can start making adjustments and mends. And just like a computer, the reason we call it Reboot, and you named it for that from the beginning of our life, was like, it's like mysteriously, I don't know why, when you power down your computer and you power it back up, it works better. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But it just does. So if that's true about our computers and our iPhones and technology in our world, well, maybe it's true about us. Wow. So part of the Reboot is just getting away from your normal life and unplugging for a bit and spending. So basically we do a two and a half days where we spend time working through these ideas and it's very experiential. And then people have a chance to, you know, write journal entries about it and interact in group settings about it. And, you know, we have a lot of content we walk people through and how to jettison your stuff and how to figure out what's your favorite you know, in your closet versus all the crap you look past yeah. to find your favorite shirt, well, then get rid of it because it's just noise in your life. Well, that noise in your life translates into how you live in your life. Yeah. So there's ways you can begin to architect your life in a special way that give you a better result so you can be on a path that you're stoked about and you wake up in the morning and the story that you tell yourself is, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. And this is going to go well. And when it doesn't go well, you know, you go back and say, yeah, that's true too. Hmm. Wow. Man, I'm super stoked for you guys to do this again. Yeah. I love that you're taking this route with your story. Um, and I'm, I'm a bit speechless too, because I'm just like, wow. You know, you guys, yeah. um, I mean, on behalf of all of us, um, you, have, you have walked uh, a journey that I don't think 99.9 .9 of us out of a hundred have any idea about. Um, and it's super inspiring and very enlightening to watch with how you and Leith have navigated your days. Um, Thanks. and thank you. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just is. Um, and so when they come to reboot, because in the last thing I just kind of wanted you to riff on is yeah. your hope is that they leave three miles an hour. Is that right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. you, you shared this in St. Louis and yeah. I've, I, you know, when I, when I hear things like this, I write them down and I sit with them for a while. Um, and so you want to just share like this aha of life at three miles an hour, because man, if we, if we want flavor out of our days, we, we got to slow down. If, if we want to yeah. see, if we want to actually have vision and enjoy we got to slow down. Things have to go. Um, three miles an hour. Where'd you come up with this? Yeah, I, I, I was actually doing some research for the keynote that I gave when you and I were together um, there in St. Louis at the real estate conference with Patrick Lilly. And I watched this film and it was, um, I think the title was called Godspeed. And it was about this pastor who went um, from Western America and end up in the middle of Scotland in some village. And he just found out that every, everything he was prepared to do, none of it was useful, essentially. And what he had to do instead was just spend time with people. And that being a pastor or a priest in this little town community 
was about actually just spending time with people mm. and just listening. And he had this theologian that commented about how before, before our modern age, our man lived at an average walking pace of three miles per hour in a really small geography. And so when I listened to that, I was like, bullseye, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sound bite. Yeah. The sound bite is because what I was the story I was attempting to tell was what we're doing right now for most of us. I would say for most people really enjoy their life and things are going really well. And then there's these areas of their life that are not what they intend or desired or they've changed or shaped their desires to accommodate the way that they live. But really, if they're really honest, <laughs> it's not it's not really how they wanted the story to go. Yeah. So what I found was this idea of three miles per hour, um, by contrast, overlaid to this, what I call it, 200 mile an hour life that we live, which is like a bullet train, yeah. where we're always on, we're always connected, we're always responding, and we're always engaged. But the problem is, I think, we're not made for it. So the life we actually live in and the culture that we live in, we're actually not equipped for. And so for me, that I, I really like strategies for living. So I look at that as, well, that means we just need a different strategy. So let's go back in our life when things were working well for us, like when we were eight or, you know, in all of man's history before, <coughs> excuse me, the invention of the train, yeah. we lived at three miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Let me cough real quick. Absolutely. So what we, the way I view this idea of three miles an hour is it's less about it being literal. Cause I think what happens is people can hear things like that yeah, yeah. or our reboot story or the severity of our story. And they can just kind of dismiss and say, well, you know, I don't, I'm, my life isn't that sideways or none of that stuff's happened to me or, Hey, you don't come spend a, a weekend at my house and try and live three miles an hour. What I'm talking about is a spiritual reality, a posture, a spiritual truth and a posture. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm talking about is, and what I've learned the hard way is that when I approach my day, like I'm the commander in chief of a bullet train, it doesn't go so well <laughs> because I just live hair on fire, always offering and, and just it eventually leaves me gassed. And, and not the person that I want to be to live out of a whole heart to power my life with these, this energy that I desire to infuse my life with. So what we found is in this reboot that this three miles an hour story is really helpful as a comparison to say, hold on a second. I know you've got to do um, carpool for your kids. Absolutely. It's totally true. You got to pick up six kids and you got to be there. You're a stay at home mom. You got diapers, you know, neighbor across the street with four little kids. Like we, we've done all that. I get it. But what I'm talking about is what if in the midst of that, what if you just, if you pause for five seconds before you get in the car, you hide in the closet to take five deep breaths in and five deep breaths out yeah. before you go engage in the carpool thing you have to do. Yeah. What if you just listen to the, your favorite song? What if you call a friend and just leave him a voicemail from high school? What if you take a walk to get the mail versus drive your car? 
So what I'm talking about are subtleties of shift, of change, but they're, they're agreeing with what I believe we're designed for. And I believe we're designed for connection, for intimacy. I believe we're designed to be engaged. I believe we are designed to be full of joy. I believe we are designed to have a powerful life and whatever that life is for each of us. And I believe we're you're supposed to show up to it fully present and alive. And this idea of, of reboot or men's and adjustments or narratives you tell yourself or a three mile an hour, you know, pace, those are just shifts to begin to again challenge because the culture tells us one way and it's not working for us. So that means we have to go back to some different questions to say, well, what if there's a different way in the life that we have and we can begin to, I call it architect or craft a different way which some of that to me just starts with a heart posture of, okay, I got to do this different. Yeah. And three miles an hour is a pace that I can get my head around because that means I'm walking and that means everything's slower and everything, which means I have to do a lot less. Yeah. And I've become slowly becoming um, an essentialist and a minimalist and these other things in just how I live my life. And it's less about my stuff in my house and more about just how I curate my life for a life I want to be part of. You get to do a lot less, but you get to you get to enjoy a lot more. Yeah. Amen. Oh, yes, sir. Man. So yeah. if people want to know about the reboot, where should they go? AaronMcHugh.com. What's the best place? And what are the dates? Yeah. yeah so dates are, so AaronMcHugh.com and then backslash um, reboot workshop or just AaronMcHugh.com and it's top left corner. You'll see it. And it has all the details there. It has fun pictures from the last event and, you know, quotes from people and, you know, what is it and what can you expect and how long does it last and schedule all those kinds of things. And then it's basically, it's a Friday through a Sunday. It's October 13th, 14th and 15th, um, done by half day on Sunday. So you can get back on the road by, um, lunchtime. And then we also have this year, what we're going to, or this time we're going to do something different. We're also going to offer just for eight people, um, a Thursday where it's with Leith and I in our home and going deeper into these conversations and um, hosting. We've got a, a chef who's going to cook for us that night and have an intimate meal together. And so it'll give a chance for some people that who want to actually have yeah. more conversation yeah. and have us get a chance to listen to where they're at, what they're up to, where they feel stuck, where they feel like they need help. And just more of a, a personalized, you know, interaction. And then we'll move into the big group, which will be, you know, anywhere from 35 to 50 people on that Thursday through Sunday. Um, but the people who want to come early and be part of that more small, intimate group will have that as an option also. So, yeah, so 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th of October um, in Colorado Springs, which is voted one of the top five places to live in the country for these kinds of things we're talking about here. And yeah, it'll be really fun. So pretty, I would say, um, different than it's not a, not a seminar. Um, it's not a workshop. It's, it's more of an experience, but you'll be able to spend time, um, on these kinds of ideas and topics for a couple of days and walk away with a new set of tools, um, to reapproach your life and, and also a new set of questions yeah. and being affirmed in the things that you are doing that you're up to, that you're stoked about and actually, you know, fueling that more, like, how do you do more of that? And, and how do you do less of what's not working? Man, love it. Can't wait. Um, you guys, make sure you go check this out. And really, if this spoke to you today, um, I can tell you that uh, his 
Aaron's heart is huge, and uh, he's ready to walk this journey with you. You can stream this episode and all other episodes of Let the Music Play podcast, both in iTunes and at AshtonGasofson.com. If you have enjoyed these conversations, and they have brought joy, peace, and resilience to your life, we ask that you would go to iTunes and leave a review. Our hope is to share these voices and conversations with as many people as we can, and by leaving a review, you will be helping this light make its way into the world. Thank you for entrusting us with your time. We know it's your most precious resource, and we are so grateful to have you join us as we do our little part in helping humanity tune up into a beautiful and lovely song. And so as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebird sing, and be love. <laughs>